Matthew 25, 14. Watch this beautiful parable, this awesome parable that's going to launch us into our topic tonight. Everybody say, I'm ready. ready. Awesome. Verse 14, for the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And he gave, and one, and to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway he took his journey. Everybody say, he left them. He put him in charge and he left him. Where'd he go? That's weird. You think he'd want to just be there all the time, making sure you didn't mess up. It's just so strange that, that Jesus would use this parable to talk about himself and that he is not always around. Well, we, yeah, I know he's always around, but, but think about it for a second. There's a reason why this parable exists. In fact, there's a reason why the one before it was the ten virgins. Remember what happened to them? They're waiting on the groom who's not there. It's almost like, it's almost like Jesus wants us to have a little space to make our own mind up. It's almost like he wants to give us a little room to see what we'd do if he wasn't watching us. It's almost like he wants to find out if we really care. Yeah. So tonight our topic is when the cat's away. You can be, you can be seated in Jesus' name. When the cat's away. I mean, when you're preaching in Crocs and you got a Croc-like case for your iPad, you might as well use a funny topic saying, Jesus, help me, Lord, when the cat's away, when the cat's away. You know what happens when the cat's away? You never heard that saying before? What do the mice do? Why do the mice play when the cat's away? Because their hearts aren't right. Those little mice, they're up to no good. If you're watching online for our church and our church group, we miss you tonight. It seems like when people, Wednesday night comes around, all kinds of things happen on Wednesdays. And I am just praying that God will help people to be sick on Tuesdays and Thursdays and their cars break down on Fridays so that they can make Wednesdays and Sundays because we only get two chances to be together. But at least we have online for backup plan. But we're glad you're here tonight. Thank you for being faithful to Wednesday night. I know traffic was crazy tonight. I'm glad you're here. When the cat's away, everybody say, when the cat's away. Everybody say, meow. Just because I wanted to wake you up, that's all. Not even my notes. So let's make sure that we're contextual tonight. Jesus left the earth. Anybody agree with that? Y'all seen him walking around? I hadn't seen him walking around. I'm pretty sure that scripture was true. <laughs> if you don't believe any other scripture in the Bible, believe that one. He's not here. Because you ain't seen him, nobody's seen him, it's been a long time. Our king ascended with all power. He left us. It's kind of sad. He left us with intentions to return. He has given us instructions, commandments, expectations. While he is gone, we're supposed to be doing something. While he is gone, we're supposed to be doing something. While he's not breathing down our neck all the time, hitting us with whips and beating us up, we're supposed to be doing right. Yeah, he left us with power and authority, and he's not looking over our shoulder all day long. That's because that's the way he wants to do it. Yeah. We know that uh, we will be judged when he returns and inspects all of our actions in his absence. Yet, it seems to me that there's many people who seem to think that maybe he doesn't know what's going on. Maybe we can just do what we want to do, and maybe he'll never know. It can feel like we're free. We're free to do whatever we want to do. It can feel like we're free just to act like we want to act. It can feel like 
We can just go where we want to, be what we want to be, think how we want to think without consequence. Have you ever done something really bad and never got caught? Anybody want to raise your hand? Yeah? You thought you got away with it, didn't you? Yeah? You thought nobody knew, right? How does that make you feel? It's, it's bittersweet. You kind of want to get caught sometimes, don't you? Just so you can get it over with, you know? But, but sometimes it's a relief knowing that you got away with it. Sometimes it can feel like you can do things nobody will ever know. Sometimes it feels that way. So let's be honest. Jesus isn't smothering us day in and day out with whips and warnings. I mean, does that happen to y'all? It doesn't happen to me. You know, it's not the way it works. I'm sorry, y'all. Whenever I'm on my phone and I'm scrolling through Facebook and an ad pops up, my Lord, bless us, help us, Jesus, some of them ads. Anybody else had to repent lately because you were on Facebook? I mean, we only have four friends we follow because you can't trust anybody these days. But, I mean, the ads are, are horrible, you know? And it's not like Jesus is sitting there while that ad pops up of some lady in a bikini advertising a snorkel, which you can have a snorkel and not have a bikini. But people wouldn't click on your ad. Men wouldn't click on your ad, so that's how they get you. But it's not like whenever I'm there in that moment, Jesus slaps me. I'm like, that's right. I need to, you're right. Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Does that happen, does that happen to y'all? doesn't happen to me. It's almost like, it's almost like he don't care. It's almost like he's not there. It's almost like I can do whatever I want to. I can do whatever I want to do, right? Sometimes it feels like that with God. It feels like, we I mean, just do whatever we want to do because he's not there spanking us, whipping us, rebuking us. Not there. He does not harp on us. He does not send us scary threats to our email. He does not scare us, uh, send us scary phone calls. He, does not, he doesn't sneak up and ring the doorbell at night and hide in the bushes and, and make funny faces and scary faces and, and leave us little notes randomly saying, I saw what you looked at last night, Jesus, dash Jesus. Is that how he does it for you? It's not how he does it for me. It almost feels like at times he's not even watching. Doesn't nag us. He provided us Bible study, a Bible to study and live by. He provided us his spirit to comfort us and lead us into truth. He provided us pastors as tangible examples of Jesus on the earth to lovingly lead us. But he doesn't seem to beat us up all the time, breathing down our neck. My dog inspired this message tonight. I'd like to give credit to Jazzy, where credit is due. My one-year-old, mini poodle, and uh, this dog loves the kitchen. This dog is an addict for the kitchen floor. This dog would rather be beat and get a crumb the size of a piece of sand because she can smell so good. She can find it. When, you, when she's sniffing the ground, there's something there, even if you can't see it. It's amazing what she can find in the kitchen. So to give you a little backstory, our kitchen floor looks like we eat with our hands tied behind our back. I don't know how we do it. I don't know how the floor gets dirty. We vacuum and then it just falls out of the vacuum. I don't, it looks like we didn't even vacuum. 
I don't understand how we miss our mouth so much. But our dog is thankful. Our dog is thankful that we are like Neanderthals and we eat like cavemen, which I am on a paleo diet, which they say is like a caveman diet. So I figure I might as well just sell out, go all the way in and just eat like a crazy man. Our dog has one main rule and that is, and by the way, I'm just joking. Make sure my, my wife, I don't want after church to be like, you shouldn't have said that. People are going to think we're monsters. I'm like, we're not. <laughs> We, she does a great job taking care of her house. It's our fault. My wife doesn't make a mess. It's our fault. She tells us lots of times that we need to clean up after ourselves. She does an incredible job, I confess. But we have one rule for our dog, and that is one main rule, one rule we try to enforce, and that is don't go in the kitchen. From day one, my wife taught this dog to not go in the kitchen, and she will stand at the very border like a half-backslid saint staring at cigarettes but not smoking them she is literally hanging her nose over the imaginary line sniffing trying to get as much of the world I mean kitchen as she can the one rule that she has is do not go in the kitchen but at nighttime, when we are all tucked away in bed and we are snoozing and snoring and enjoying life if you listen closely, there will be a pitter-patter of nails that we haven't cut in a long time. For this very reason, might I add. Because her nails give her away at night. Tack, 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 tack. There's nothing to do at one in the morning, Jazzy. There is nothing for you at one in the morning except sleeping. Where are you going when we're not watching? So one night, just recently, I was laying in bed studying. It was late at night. She was in bed, tucked away, sleep in the living room. And I hear the tap, tap, tap began. And I just had, the Lord must have quickened my spirit or something, because out of nowhere, I thought, I could look at the, the camera in the living room, which is really when we're gone. It's a security camera. In case any of you break into my home, I'll catch you. But it, it's, it's a security camera in the, in the living room. So you might want to sneak underneath the fireplace. But anyway, that's where it looks at. And I got my phone out real quick and I watched because I wanted to catch her in the act. And there she was three feet into the kitchen. And I thought, I'm about to scare the living daylights out of this little poodle. So I snuck out of bed like a ninja. And I'm going to go around the hall because there's two ways to come in our kitchen. There's the main way through the living room. There's the hallway by the front door. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut her off at the back. And I'm going to scare her because she gets scared very easily. And I'm going to scare her. And as I was going down the hall like a little ninja tiptoeing, she, was, she came through the whole kitchen. Now, that's big time at our house. I mean, you just messed up. She's at the other end of the kitchen where I'm at. And y'all should have seen her face. As soon as she saw me, she turned into like a, oh, oh, just passing through. And she turned around and began a double time, tap, 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 all the way back to her bed like nothing ever happened. <laughs> the whole time, I'm, whole time I'm scream whispering <laughs> because they're asleep. And I'm like, you kick over here right now. I'm scream whispering. And she's just like, nope, everything's good. Nope, wasn't in the kitchen. Maybe he'll forget. And she, uh, 
yeah. So she is back in her bed, and I caught her. I scared her, and I, I felt really good about that, that moment <laughs> about getting her. You know, she seems like she loves us until we're not there. We thought she was a faithful dog. You know, dogs are supposed to be faithful, right? We kind of give them that reputation. But, I mean, if you can't trust your dog, you can't trust anybody. Man's best friend is a lie. I give you everything, and you're going to compromise over crumbs? Wow. There's a Bible scripture. I could preach on that. Let's open our Bibles to that lady that had the crumb thing happen. Remember that one? So then the other night, y'all, just because we're laughing, the other night, I'm in the chair, in the living room, and I'm, I'm studying. It's quiet at night, and uh, I'm, like, I'm like the Kenny, Sister Kenny and Samantha. I like to be up late, too, and, and do all my work at night. And that's something we've learned about them, by the way, our wonderful quiz director and, and uh, quiz directors. And so I, I relate to y'all, Sister Kenny, Sister Samantha. I like it when it's late at night, and I'm, it's all quiet. Maybe that's why y'all like it. Maybe the boys are in bed. Maybe they're quiet asleep. But it's so still and so quiet. I love at night whenever all of a sudden it's like, just nothing. And I can just hear from God. It's so peaceful, so quiet. And I'm sitting there and the dog's asleep and I am frozen. And sometimes I'll just kind of meditate and I won't move. And in one of those moments, Jazzy gets up and I'm like, what does she think she's doing? I am here looking at her. And I was like, I froze. I didn't even breathe. House is quiet. And I watch her. And this dumb dog makes her way to the kitchen. And I'm freezing because I'm like, maybe she won't see me. You know, you know, you're sleepy. You're half asleep. You're kind of like, just like, whatever, you know. So I'm imagining she's sleepwalking. I'm imagining that she is just not even knowing where she is. And she walks right past me to the kitchen. And I couldn't see her anymore. So I immediately just turned around a little bit and said, Jazzy. And she was like, tap, 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 right back to the bed. It's just amazing what this animal will do. When she thinks that nobody is watching her. So, of course, y'all said it earlier. Somebody said it one time. When the cat's away, the mice get really bold, thinking that they can get away with it without consequence. By no means am I calling Jesus a cat or the cat. But I am painting a picture. Jesus never wanted to scare you into submission. Jesus never wanted to scare you into loving him. It is not his will. It is not his way. He simply wants to give you enough space so you can freely choose. Adam and Eve were not prisoners in the garden. They were not in trouble. They were not felons on the loose. They were trusted. They were believed in. They were loved. They were created to enjoy their lives in paradise. And God clearly told them what to do and what not to do. And then he gave them space to make their choice. God didn't stand guard beside the forbidden fruit. He didn't stand there and say, ah, 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 what did I tell you? He put the tree in the middle of their life, in the most private place, where every day they would have to walk by this tree without God sitting there making them afraid with a big old club. Because that's what God wants. God wants you to pick him for once. God wants it to be your idea. 
God doesn't want to have to have all kinds of things pressure you into doing it. That's not love. The choice would have been made daily without pressure, without reminders, without calendars, without text message or notifications. Don't forget, don't sin. Don't eat from the tree that's forbidden. God chose to not smother his creation from day one. It was not his will. Wait, why? What if, what if he had maybe stood by the tree of knowledge of good and evil day and night warning that maybe Adam and Eve would have never failed, right? Maybe. Could it be that our creator wants us to want him? Could it be he wants us to want him without constant fear of penalty? It sure seems like God wanted his creation to choose their creator because they love him and not because they're scared of him. You see, here's the thing. The fear of penalty only protects you from wanting to get caught. I'll scare you and you'll do it, but not because you care. Get up here and preach on hell. Every Sunday we'll fill this building up for at least six months. And then we'll lose you. Because whenever you use fear and pressure and you get pushy, you get results, but they don't last. They don't last. Because it doesn't require the heart to be in sync with the action. Hell is a truth. It is a real place. But it will never be enough to make us love God. Never. So watch this. You really don't love God if you have to have the guard in the garden. You really don't love God if you have to have your sins guarded by something all the time. We're living in an age right now where I don't care what you do to your iPad, device, your computer, you can't escape it. At some point, you're going to have to make your mind up if you're going to look at it or not. I'm sorry, we're to a place now where you can't even go to the mall in the summertime. You can't even go down to Galveston and grab ice cream. We're living in a day now where you can't guard everything. It's going to have to be your choice. It's going to have to be because you want to. Nobody looking over your shoulder. No wife always saying what you're up to. Nobody there to catch you. Because the original plan of God was that you'd want to live this life if he never saw you. God help us tonight. Because nothing tests our love and commitment to Jesus like his absence. If I could just have his presence, that's half of it. We never talk about his absence. It's in his absence you get to pick him. You see, he, he's already picked us. He's, he's already picked us. He's already died for us. He's already said he wanted us. He's the one that made Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve did not pick God. But they had a chance to. God wants it to be our choice in his absence can we love him when he's not there? Can we be faithful to him when he's not talking back in prayer? Can we lift up our hands in church when we've had a bad day, when we wonder where he is? It's in his absence that we truly find the truth of who we are. It's when you've been let down. It's when you didn't get your expectations met that we find out if you truly love him or not. 
No one talks about the absence of God. But tonight we're talking about the absence of God. Because there are times when it feels like he's not there. But I promise you, he is there. He's just not breathing down your neck. Giving you space. Here's some examples, all right? There's some Bible, Bible examples. Moses left Israel to go speak with God and get the law. And he left the people, Israelites, who just got free from Egypt. He left them alone with Aaron a man he thought he could trust, and he goes up to deal with God and spend time with God. In his absence, guess what the people do? They build a golden calf, and they start worshiping, and they turn away from God, and they just got set free and delivered. But this is what people do when they're absent from sometimes their leader, absent from they think the presence of God. They begin to do what's in their hearts, and that's why sometimes God will take a Moses and take him up the mountain for a few days. The, the idea that you have to have your Moses around all the time is not true. In fact, I kind of think God did something neat for this past few years. I think God let me go through this health condition to see what the real condition of our church is. Pastor, you've kind of been sick for a few years. Well, how could that be the will of God? I think I'm starting to see it now. What happens when the pastor's not in everybody's business? True colors start to come out. What happens if you don't counsel every little problem? True colors come out. What happens when Moses is going through his season? You find out who the people really are. I didn't just find myself. I found you in these last three years. You find out the true colors of a church whenever the pastor is on sabbatical. When the pastor is up in prayer on a two-week fast praying and getting a word from God. It's amazing what happened when the pastor's out of town. I remember when I was in Dallas, I was new, and when the elder pastor was out of town, people were like, great, the 23-year-old is preaching. What does he know? We literally had the lead head usher of the church pull in the parking lot, noticed that the pastor, he walked in, noticed that the elder pastor was not there. He was out of town. He got back in his car and went home. And I had to get up and preach, y'all. Thank you. Thank, somebody say all. Thank I had to get up and preach knowing that. Yeah, because somebody was unwise and told me. So I preached on hell that Sunday. I preached about hell and I'm... <laughs> Submission. Despise not thy youth. Is that the scripture I use, I think? Yeah, I, like, I just switched it. But it's amazing what happened every time pastor was out of town. We'd have the worst stuff happen when pastors out of town. I mean, it was the dumbest stuff, y'all. It was like, what are you doing? You don't act this way when he's here. When the cat's away. Wow. But I thank God for those moments when the pastor's out of town. I thank God for the moments when I couldn't be there. Because the truth of who you are oftentimes shows up better when God or the pastor or the man of God or the Moses is nowhere to be found. That's an example. Lazarus is dead and those closest to him are very upset. They're very mad. They wonder where Jesus is. You should have been here quicker. It's amazing what happens whenever Jesus is not there. It's amazing how things fall apart. It's amazing how we start to doubt everything when Jesus isn't there. They lost their minds because Jesus wasn't there. It's amazing you find out whether you have faith or not when he doesn't show up. You know what? Kind of offensive to God because he was like, 
I am the resurrection. What you talking about? I'm late. What you talking about? You're worried about me. Don't be worried about me. I am the resurrection and the life. It's amazing what you find out about you when your resurrector's not there. And you die by yourself because he might not be there, but he knows. And he might not be looking, but he knows what you're going through. Maybe he's trying to see what you'll do in his absence. Help us, Jesus. Stormy seas, disciples are so afraid. You know why they're afraid? After just experiencing the miracle of all these bread and all this bread multiplication and fish multiplication and, and 5,000 people are fed. You know why they're, they're, they're having a hard time right after that happened in the boat during the storm and seas? Because Jesus wasn't there. Oh, they're cool when he's around. It'll be all right. Jesus is here. But when he's not there, all oh, the true colors of the disciples show up real fast. We're going to die. We're going to die. Oh, but when he's there, we got this. Let's go. I'll go through the prison of death. Oh, come on. Let's go fight the devil. You talk real big whenever you're in his presence. But what do you believe when he's not there? That's really who you are. Yeah. Oh, and then we talked about the parables. <laughs> These parables are, are throughout Scripture like crazy. Most of the parables talk about a master or a groom who's not even there while you're trying to be faithful. He's, he's coming back for you. So that means right now we're supposed to be faithful to him while he's not with us. How you doing with that? Because that's what the Holy Ghost sent me here to ask you tonight. How you doing with it living on the earth, not in heaven yet? How you doing with the pain, the problems, and not getting everything you want monetarily, financially, socially? How you doing wondering where he's been all these years? Are you still investing your talents? Are you still filling up your oil? Or have you lost your love for the groom? Because he's just taken a little too long. We have to pass the test of his absence. Oh God, I feel your spirit. We have to pass the test of that season of darkness where we wonder where he is in our lives. This is where we miss it. This is why Jesus was so frustrated with the religious performers of his day. He would often call them out for praying loud prayers as long as everybody was there to watch and hear. For giving money only when the crowd was watching because when they would give, they would do it very loudly. And when they would pray, they would do it very publicly. But whenever they were by themselves, they wouldn't do a thing. They had a church service culture where they were really spiritual on Sunday and Wednesday. But in the privacy of their own homes, they were hypocrites because they only prayed at church and they only gave at church. And Jesus called them out publicly and said, you're not real. Nothing angers God like someone who plays church. Someone that's faithful in his presence but not in his absence. Yeah. So these religious performers would only attempt to be righteous in public when the one that matters the most is in private. What you do in private is who you are. You will not be judged for your public image. You'll be judged for what you did when you thought nobody was seeing you. 
Help us, Jesus. So I want to ask you very soberly tonight, who, who are you really, guest, saint, new church member? I mean at home. I mean, I mean like when you're by yourself. I mean whenever it's just you on the phone. When it's just you and someone that you confide in. How do you talk when you don't think God's listening or the other person's not there and you will never get caught? When you think that he's not listening, who are you really? I mean, when nobody's guarding you being like, you better shut your mouth. Some of y'all need to thank God for your wife or your husband. Usually it's the wife. Better watch your mouth. What, who are you really when no one's there to stop you from doing dumb things? See, some of you are only spiritual because you have a good guard. Some of you are only really Christian because she'll divorce you. Has nothing to do with him. You're only doing it for you. You're only doing it because they're watching. You're only doing it because your image. Well, I want to be somebody in the church, so I have to keep my image up. And when I'm around people, I'll act this way. And when I'm not, I'll act this way. But be sure your sins, they'll find you out one day. When you think, I won't get caught, nobody will ever know. By the way, where's God at anyway? He hasn't talked to me in years. You're failing the test. That's when you're supposed to be faithful. That's when you're really supposed to be at church the most. Don't ever fall for the trap that, oh yeah, some God, I needed him last week. Where was he at? I feel like he's not even there. That's where you've messed up. That's where we have to worship the most. That's where we must be faithful. Because anybody can love a God that's always there helping you through your problems. You don't really love Jesus if you can't obey him in his absence. Jesus said, if you love me, he said, keep my commandments. Now watch this closely. He said, keep them, not just do them. What's the difference in the word keep and do? His keep is when you do it, even if he's not there. You keep a commandment, you don't just do a commandment. You know why? Because when you keep a commandment, you tuck it away whenever you're going through a dark storm in your life and you look in the mirror and you're like, ain't no God, ain't nothing happening. What do you do when you don't know where God's at? You pull the commandments out and you say, I will serve the Lord. He is only one God. He will never leave me. He will never. You pull the commandments out. You keep them. When you wonder where he's at, you don't lose the commandments. Thank you, Jesus. We need to be accountable to the commandments, not just the commander. Because his word lives beyond him. His word is alive. It's not dead. And when he gives us a word and gives us a commandment and he walks away, the thing is alive. And we must be faithful to the commandments, even when you don't know where he's at. Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, just keep my commandments. Thank you, Jesus. Notice when I say absence, I mean when you think he's not looking because we all know Jesus knows everything, right? 
So I'm not saying that God does not know your secrets. He knows everything. You can't hide from him. Let's make sure that we all are on the same page right now. God knows every single thing that you're doing that is wrong or right. He keeps account of it. He knows it. There's no hiding. Old time Pentecost said it a lot. You can't hide from God. He's watching you. He knows you. I need to make sure it's very clear right now that when I say absence, I don't, I'm not saying he doesn't know what's going on in your life. I mean like it seems like he's quiet right now. It seems like he's not looking at you right now. Did you know our God is so cool and big and powerful that he can know everything about you and not even be looking at you? He's got, he's got like mom eyes. What are you doing, Aspen? And Aspen's like, how did you know? It's that mom's. He's got, you know moms are. They just, they just know stuff. Where you been? What you been doing? Huh? How come, you're, how come you're out so late? What you been doing tonight? Oh, nothing, nothing. I was praying, my friends. Yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> Something about mother intuition. She don't have to look at you to know you. And sometimes you think that God is not looking, and you're right. Because the Bible says there are times when he's looking. Don't get confused. Our God can do stuff we can't do. He can know everything about you and not be looking at you. So notice the scriptures when the Bible says he knows it all, but he does not look at it all. Are you ready? This is the word of God, Isaiah 66 and 2. For all those things hath my hand made, the King James Version, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look. If God sees everything, why is he looking at certain things? Because it's symbolic. There's a purpose to this idea that God knows everything but doesn't look at everything. Even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. Isn't it interesting that God does not look whenever you're sinning all the time? God does not look when you're prideful. God does not look whenever you're rebellious. The Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to tell him what gets my attention. You're not escaping judgment just because I'm not looking at you. But I'm not looking at you because... You don't have the right spirit. The word does nothing for you anymore. Some of you think, are y'all with me right now in the Holy Ghost? Some of you think God's not looking at you, and I'm here to tell you, you're right. Yeah. Because God doesn't look at rebellious people that know better. But he knows. Oh, he knows. You feel like God's not really looking at what's going on in your life right now? Maybe because you don't have a contrite spirit. And maybe because his word means nothing anymore to you. Just pages in a book. You see, secret rebellion doesn't get the attention of God. But secret worship does. And if you want to get God's attention tonight, if you want to live with God's attention, be a secret worshiper. Be secret and be pure. Be secret and be his. Be secret and keep yourself from the world. Be holy when nobody's there. Be holy on the internet when nobody will ever catch you. 
This is the man God looks at. Thank you. God looks at those who have the right spirit. Can I define this for a moment? That's more than the right words or the right actions. It's much deeper. God looks at those with the right spirit. And I am convinced that you can be very smart mentally and you can be very wrong spiritually. God is not impressed with human wisdom, ability, and success on the earth. The Lord spoke to me Monday night this week and said smart people need to pray more than they even realize. Because they think that their big brains give them an excuse to have a small spirit. And if you think you're smart in this place, you better pray before everything you do. Because your mind will lie to you and tell you that you can do stuff that's great, but it might not be right. Look, I don't want to be great. I want to be right. I don't want a cool idea. I want the right idea. I don't want to do what everybody else does. I'm not trying to reinvent things. I'm trying to submit to God and have the right spirit. So the Lord spoke to me and said, and said, you've got to be careful thinking you know it all. You've got to be careful thinking you've got good, good ideas, you've got wisdom. You've got to be careful because you need prayer more than anybody. This is how you can be successful in the earth and unsuccessful in the kingdom. Because we don't have the right spirit. So God looks to people with the right spirit. If you want to get God's attention tonight, you don't have to do anything besides get the right spirit on you. And I'm telling you, God is looking right here, and then he looks right at you. Some of you think you have to beg God, you think you have to talk God, you think it's about your works. God doesn't want your works. That's not what draws him to you. You know what draws God to you? You know what he looks at? You know what he's attracted to? People who have the right spirit. You can't perform enough to get God to be like, good job. God is sick of performers. God wants people with the right spirit. And what does God look at? Those who shake at the word of God. I like the way it says that. They tremble at my word. Those who are affected when the word goes forth, it rattles your soul. It still shakes you. It still motivates you. It still moves you. It still pushes you forward. And he said, I love to look at people that love my word. If you want God to look at you tonight, when you hear the word of God going forth, get on the edge of your seat and say, that got me right there. That's what I love to hear. I love to hear the word of God. Because God says, now that's my man. That's my woman right there. They're still moved in church. They're still moved when they read their Bibles. And God begins to speak in his word. He said, I want to look at you. You're getting my attention. Because we're both attracted to the same thing. Notice it's, it's not those who shake the word, those who are shaken by the word. Those who are moved by the word of God. God, God looks to you. So if you want God to look on your life, have a contrite spirit, a broken spirit, have humility. Everybody say humility. Lord help you. If, if you, if you don't get humility, you're going to be a miserable human being. In the kingdom of God, we are promoted and powerful because of humility. We have to leave the world's concepts outside the door. They're tough out there. We're not. We have humility. Our authority comes from God. I have none except he gives it to me. We have to have a spirit. We have to be in the word. Everybody say spirit and word. Spirit and word. 
That's going to matter in a second, okay? We, we need to talk about this. It's going to matter. So listen to this next section. Are you ready? In an effort to guard ourselves more and keep ourselves living right, we sometimes seek people of like faith to partner with us and keep us on track. And we call them accountability partners. Accountability is a buzzword in our culture, and it can be a blessing. It sure can. Um, I think there's a lot of benefits to it. But what does the Bible say about accountability? Just a quick pause right now. There's a lot of things that sound cool in our world that are not biblical. Right? We go by the word, not by the trends of the earth. I don't care if everybody's doing it, if it doesn't line up with the scriptures. There is a certain way to do accountability that is accountable to God's word first. I'm accountable to his word before I'm accountable to anything. So, so let's, talk about, let's talk about what the buzzwords are in our culture and let's measure it by scripture because I want to make sure that we're not doing the guard thing wrong. Because that's the point of it, right? We know we are to confess our faults one another. That's Bible, that's scripture. Everybody believe in that? Bible says confess your faults one to another. But that's not necessarily a partnership. Some people think that's one person only in the church. That's not what the scripture says. Whenever you only go one-on-one the rest of your life in church, you create cliques. Where only one person trusts you. And that's why the Bible does not teach having just one person that you talk to. The Bible says have the spirit of confession. I'll hide from some of y'all, but not from some of y'all. That's not what the Bible teaches. We've created this idea that you're supposed to confess to one person, one individual, and let them hold it on for the rest of their life. That's not what the scripture teaches. The Bible says that confession is how we get healed. And it doesn't say to pick a person in church and let that be the person you dump on all the time. It's supposed to be about us being able to be open in humility. 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 And whenever you confess, you create humility and you draw on support from people. And the reason why some people don't help you is because you don't confess that you're going through anything. You know the only person helping you right now is the one you confess to? Yeah. It don't do any good for you to tell somebody who works in a candy factory that your fence is broke. (laughs) Might want to go tell someone who built fences. If you don't specialize in my problem, not doing any good. That's why you can't just have one person that you bail everything out on because confession, the spirit of confession, it creates humility and draws in support. And the reason that we don't like doing it is because we don't trust people. But listen, I can't not do the Word of God because, because somebody else is going to mess it up. Right? I'm going to do what the Bible says, and if you choose to use it against me, God's going to judge you. I'm still going to do it. If I'm supposed to confess because it's how I get healed, then I'm not letting your issue mess me up. i got to get my healing. I've got to get this out. I can't hide forever. I can't go get in a corner and have my buddy and just all day long just throw it on them. I've got to be confessional. I've got to confess one to another, not just find one person and confess. God help us have confession because confession helps control gossip because you can't gossip about something that somebody already publicly confessed. That's not very cool when it's like, Hi, I'm your pastor. Uh, I have a weird thing where I wear Crocs every day. It's a problem, and I can't help it. It doesn't work whenever later on the week you're like, did you hear about pastor? He said he has to wear Crocs every day or he can't make it. You know what happens whenever I already confess? You look at him and go, he said it Sunday in church. Anyways, what's next? (laughs) Let's go. Let's go eat. But you see, whenever people hold secrets, it it creates an appetite for gossip. 
But whenever you walk around living open, it's like, well, I already knew that. He said it. In fact, he testified about it. In fact, he told four people before church about it. This is not news. Anyway, move on. I'm going to tell you who loves, who loves that kind of stuff. The devil loves that kind of stuff. He loves it whenever only a few people know stuff. Because we can't ever track it down. Can't ever figure out who it is. So the culture of confession, it creates humility. I'm going to tell you, it's a contagious thing. Because whenever I get up here as your pastor and say I've struggled with something, men start to come to me and say I'm struggling too. See the beauty of confession? And you thought that it would go wrong and you thought that it would mess up and you thought that the devil would just destroy you. But my Bible says I can get healed if I'll have, a more, hum- have more humility and more of an open spirit. Well, what happens if you tell somebody your dream, Joseph? You get promoted. I think I heard a preacher one time say, don't ever tell nobody your dreams. They might throw you in a pit. I'm like, and you might get promoted. (laughs) We have to, we have got to use the word of God and not try to be so smart all the time. You don't not tell people your dream because you're afraid that they'll stomp on you. It could be them stomping on you that gives you promotion. See, we operate in fear way too much. That's the root of it, what I'm talking about right now. We operate in fear way too much. We're scared to talk about our problems. You do nothing under fear. You do it by faith. Remember Job? He was in trouble. Remember how Job had three friends? had three friends. Good friends. I'm not kidding. Job had three good friends. Would you go sit and stare at somebody who had a problem for two weeks and just look at them quiet? Let's go to bed. Next day. That's the story of Job in a nutshell. Job lost a bunch of stuff. Three friends showed up. They were like, and finally they were like, okay, I got to say something. (laughs) Enough's enough. And three Job's friends began to be accountability partners and say, here's what I think you need to do. And guess what, y'all? All three loving friends, none of them can help Job. Because there's not enough friends, not enough human wisdom to figure out some things. You got to go to God. There are some things people can't do for you. You've got to go find out why you're in it. That's the story of Job. I had a, I had a uh, man tell me one time, he said he's struggling with some things. And in fact, uh, he was struggling with, with drinking some alcohol and getting drunk. And uh, this, this man was talking to me. He, he had some people that he had talked to, and they gave him good advice. They, they gave him some tips on how to get free of that temptation and issue. And you know what is weird as a pastor is I didn't talk to him about drinking because you know why? The Holy Ghost told me what his real problem was. Oh, his real problem wasn't drinking? No, it's a side effect of a deeper issue. See, this is the difference in being spiritual and being smart. Anybody can tell you what everybody tells you about how to get free of alcohol, but but the issue here is not the alcohol. The issue was the spirit, why you want the alcohol. And what God revealed to me as a man of God, as the pastor, is that here's what you've got to fix to fix this. Because if you don't fix this spirit, it'll be drugs next week. It'll be women the next. You might fix the alcohol, but you're not fixing the problem. And that's why you need more than an accountability partner. You need the working of the spirit. So we want to guard ourselves. We want to always have people around to make sure we don't mess up. I understand. Yeah. Your friends, your good saints in the church can tell you how to save some money, but your pastor can tell you why you don't want to. See, the difference 
The difference is God has got to work in our lives, y'all. The idea of guarding ourselves all the time with accountability, there's going to come a day when it's just going to be, you've got to, you have got to make your mind up when he's not there and there is no answers. You have got to make your mind up. I'm going to be faithful whenever there's nobody there can help me. At some point, you've got to pull the Job card and go, God, I'm not moving until you tell me. Where are you, God? Speak to me. Yes. Let me hurry. So listen to me on, on this accountability thing because it's a buzzword. There's people that do it in churches. People are trying to do it in our church. I get it. I felt led to explain some things about it because I want to make sure we're doing things biblically, okay? All right? Give me some time to impart my spirit to our ministers, our leaders, our faithful saints. And in time, we will have many wonderful people to help guide you. There's no way I and my wife will be able to do it all. Our church is growing. But you have to give us some time. For us to impart healthy spirit of wisdom. Find out who's submitted to us. So that we can unlock their ministries in our church. And not ever have them backfire or hurt anyone. So give us some time. Because we do need more than just us. We do need many people that can help get people through problems. I want to raise up an army of ministers in our church that can help all these people with issues and drama. But you have to be spirit-led. You can't just go to a training class and let me teach you how to help people. You've got to have the Spirit of God to rescue people. So please give us some time. Give us some time to train people. Because sometimes you mean well. Sometimes you want to help somebody. But you honestly get in over your head. And I want to protect you as the accountability partner to make sure that you don't hurt anybody and make sure you don't get hurt. So give us some time because God is going to raise up ministers and leaders in this church. We are in the season right now of bothering us and meeting us a lot. I want to say it again. This is the season my wife and I are in. We are in the season of bothering us a lot. Because we were in a season where I didn't want to bother you because you didn't feel good. But let me announce it clearly tonight. This season we're in now is bother us because we have to have it. We have to go to the next level. We have to rise up to the challenge. We are no longer in the season of don't bother the greens. They're going through a tough time. Not anymore, y'all. We've got to have meetings. We've got to have accountability to the right leadership. We've got to get this church going the right direction. This is catch-up time right now. Time to catch up what COVID did, what health issues did. And listen, I am not the same guy I was two years ago. Which means you need to hear the 2.0 version of Pastor Green in this season right now. Because it wouldn't, be the, it wouldn't have been that way two years ago. So be patient. Be patient. We have, to, we have different things to say now to our leaders, to our saints, in our training sessions. We have to be so flexible right now. I've learned that the desire, before we close, I've learned the desire for accountability is even more powerful than the actual accountability. You know, it's interesting, the people who come to you and say, Pastor, critique me, tell me anything that I've done wrong, just tell me, lay it out for me. It, it, isn't it interesting how those people that come and say that usually have nothing wrong? <laughs> I have found the trend that the people with that spirit, normally I'm like, well, you, you brushing your teeth at night? I mean, uh gosh, off the top of my head, I don't know. Do you take your dog out to potty? I don't, I mean, does your dog go in the kitchen? I, I don't know what to say because you're such, you seem like such a great saint. But isn't it interesting how the people who have the spirit of 
just say anything you want, Pastor, are usually ones that have already figured it out. Once again, these kinds of lessons are not about power trips. They're about unlocking you to have the spirit that God looks to, to get through seasons of absence when it seems like God's not there. We want you to make sure that you're growing and you're doing it right. God always blesses the spirit that says, I want to be led. And it's the reason why my wife and I are blessed because we have that spirit for those that are over us. God will bless us. Now I want to close talking about the smothered saint. (laughs) Hebrews 13 and 17 says, Obey them and have the rule over you. That's how I want to say it because I want to kind of scare you all a little bit. (laughs) Obey them and have the rule over you. And submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. Why does talking country make you sound more dominant? I don't understand why it goes that direction. It just naturally flows that way. For they must give an account. What that saint do? Jesus. Back in 2006, they said this. All right, this is what the Bible says. Look, look at what Paul told Titus in 2 and 12 teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Look at verse 15. These things speak and exhort and rebuke. I rebuke you. Some of y'all just had a heart attack right then. He's supposed to love us. I knew it. I'm changing churches. The Bible tells me to rebuke with all authority. The Bible tells me We're supposed to, as men of God, rebuke with all authority. And it says, let no man despise you. When you look at me and say, who do you think you are? I say, God's man. Don't worry, y'all. Y'all, I'm going to read the rest of the Bible to you, okay? So far, y'all are so scared. You're like, is that what it really says? Surely there's more. Surely there's got to be a way out. God, where's your grace and mercy? I got you. But the Bible is clear that I am supposed to correct you, that I am supposed to make sure that you are are, are following my lead. That's in the Bible. That is not up for debate. But if I wanted to be bossy, I wouldn't read these next scriptures to you. If I really wanted to take advantage of y'all, I wouldn't do the whole thing, right? I would skip over like some pastors do, and we we just go ahead and close out. And I would feel powerful. But because I have to answer to God, I'm going to give you the other context. You ready? Trust me, you're ready. Everybody say, I'm ready. Some of you are sweating. All right, here we go. I'm sweating. (laughs) 2 Timothy 4 and 2, another word for a minister. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, uh uh-oh, with all long-suffering. I have to be long-suffering. You know what that means? There's going to be some times some of y'all are going to be like, hey, pastor, hey, pastor, 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 stab, 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 stab. And I'm like, okay, okay, hey, hey, can you stop, please? Hey, 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 can you stop? I, I have to be long-suffering. Yeah. So, I, hey, I'm exposing, I'm exposing the tricks tonight, y'all. I have to be long-suffering. If you, if you want to find out if I'm a, I'm a real man of God, then just take a couple months and annoy us. And we will prove to you that we're still going to love you after those few months. Poke, 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 poke. Because I have to be long. We, this is talking to me, y'all, as ministers. I have to be long-suffering. That means I, I have to take it. That means if you're mad and you're talking trash, i got to be like, hey, I still love you. I'm good. It's long suffering. It's not forever suffering. <laughs> there is a time when I'm like, you know, I think the church down the road fits you perfectly. In fact, they're looking for someone just like you right now. 
Are you ready for the next one? 1 Peter 5 and 2. This is the commandment of God. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, not by choking them to death, but willingly. Not because you have to, but because you want to. This is not a job that I'm making you do. It's not like one of those nasty contracts. It's, it's from your heart. Not for a filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Look at verse 3. Neither as being lords over God's heritage. Neither as being lords over God's heritage. I'm not supposed to be the Lord over you. I'm not supposed to lord over you. You have a lord. His name is Jesus Christ. I am not supposed to be the lord over you. And you know what? I don't want to be. That's way too much responsibility. Are you watching it? Here's what we're supposed to do. I'm supposed to be an example to you. And when the chief shepherd appears, because I'm not the chief shepherd, when the chief shepherd appears, I get to get a, a crown of glory that faded away because I did not lord over you. My crown depends on making sure that I don't push you into heaven, force you into heaven, scare you into heaven. I won't get a crown if I do that. So, so listen, we're almost done. We had a little bit late start. Hang in, there's a few minutes. Your submitting keeps me from smothering. It really helps me a lot. Because we have, the, we have the desire to constantly bombard our saints to be like, where were you at? How come you weren't there? You didn't pray today. Are you praying at home? What were you doing last night on the internet? Hey, what you doing? What you doing? What you doing? Because we care. But listen, there's a fine line that gets crossed to where a leader is pressuring you into heaven. And that is not what God wants me to do. So how do we solve this paradox, this problem of me not being overbearing? You choose to submit so I don't have to feel the temptation to smother. I don't want to bother you when you miss church and don't tell me. You should want to bother me. That's the way it should work. I don't want to bother you. I don't want to be that guy in your life. I don't want to be that guy because I'm just an example. I'm here to just guide you, to help you. I don't want to beg you to come to the front and, and, and pray at the end of service. I don't want to get up here and be like, someone in the back, please come up here. Because the truth is, I'm, I'm preaching my guts out for an hour and you're just staring like, let's go eat. And, and as young pastors, sorry, as young pastors, <laughs> Lord help me. As young pastors, we, it goes with the territory of a young pastor. We, we love a good fight, right? You know, older pastors are so chill. <laughs> Jesus is good. Jesus, do whatever you want. You're in charge. You're in charge. You're over the money. You can do what you want. I'm just like, love everybody. As you get older, you start to chill. You gel out. But when you're younger, you're like, no, no, the devil's getting it tonight. We're going to tear up everybody in this house. Everybody's going to pray for you. So just giving you a heads up on younger pastors is we, we want everyone to pray through and we take this seriously. We're ready to fight. But I don't want to beg you to come to the front. I don't want to pressure you to take a Bible class, new steps and get involved. I don't want to get up here and have to wear a crawfish on my head <laughs> to get you to sign up for something. Now let's all stand. I'm going to give you the last instructions God gave me and we're going we're gonna to close in prayer. God said what to do then. Since I don't want to be the overbearing guard in the garden that says, what do you think you're doing, Miss Church? How come you didn't pray? How come you're not dressing right? How come you're not living right? I don't want to do that, y'all. 
You don't want that. You need it, but you don't want it. That's not the will of God, y'all. You know what the will of God is? Whenever it seems like no one's watching, you choose. When it seems like pastor won't even check on you, you check. When it seems like there's nobody except your choice, you do it for you and God. Not because you're in trouble, not because your pastor might get on to you. That's sad, y'all. Some of the saddest texts are, hey, it's been a while, missed you at church. Why aren't they telling me that they're struggling and about to backslide? I'm the one that cares. It's so sad that I have to pressure someone, squeeze them, use hell tactics. That's not the will of God. So here's what God said. He said, give my people some instructions on how to deal with you. He said, when you feel the temptation to pressure my church to act, he said, instead, pressure them to pray. The Lord said, I do not want you being a Lord over my heritage, so I'm going to tell you what you do. When your people are in rebellion and your people aren't listening to you and they're not hearing the word, he said, you can't make them do anything. All you can do is say, hey, let us pray. Because the young man in me says, oh, we're going to get it tonight. It's a revival. We're praying all y'all through. But I can't do it. I'm in the book tonight. I can't be that way because if I saved you with that way, I wouldn't save you in five years. No, that's not salvation. So the Lord said, whenever you feel like people are drifting on you, call a fast. He said, when you feel like people won't listen, he said, go ahead and have a rededication service. And get people back at the cross, recommitting themselves to me. Because he said to me, if I can't change them, you can't change them. He said, you will never have to push my people. Can we lift our hands right now? If you feel like you're getting pushed... We're not doing it right around here. If you feel like I'm pushing on you, then we're not doing right and we all just need to pray. Because God said, I will never have to push people that are really mine. Oh God, help us. Help us to not need another begging moment from the man of God. Help us to not need another text message of where are you and why aren't you worshiping, praying, and lifting up your hands. God does not want us to live that way. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He wants us to be able to love him in the absence of the pastor, in the absence of the saints. And even when we wonder where he's at, he wants us to say, I'm not touching that tree. I don't need a guard in the garden. I don't need someone to whip me every day. I don't need a threat of hell. I'm going to do this because I love him. Amen. And when you feel yourself drifting and you feel like you need someone to force you, you've got to go back into your prayer closet and pray it fresh and pray anew until the Holy Ghost renews you and you start to feel that same love you felt in the beginning where no one had to make you come to church, force you to sign up for a class, or put you in a Bible study. 
When you first got in church, you were so excited. You said, Pastor, anything I can do, I'll clean the toilet. I don't care. But what happened to us? I refuse to go around this church constantly having to fight people because they don't love God. It's his problem. And he's going to deal with you his way. But God help me to just love, lead, and correct and rebuke when I have to. But let me, God, never have to force, never have to pressure, never have to go overboard with all kinds of warnings to get people to do what's right. That is not the will of God for the church. Even when there's nobody around, I'm holy and I'm right and I love your word and I'm going to do right. Let that be the heartbeat of our church tonight. God loves you. My wife and I, we love you. And I have been commanded to not lord over you. And so tonight I am asking you to make this easier. And all of us, would you please protect me from smothering you by submitting? Would you please take the awkwardness away by saying, Pastor, if you ever want to teach me anything, I'm open. Thank you, because I didn't want to have to find the words to convince you. I didn't want to have to pull out that scripture. I wanted you to choose because you wanted to choose. I know I'm over nine and you've got to work tomorrow, but just for a minute, can we lift up our hands? And if you desperately have to go, we understand. But just for a minute, if you've got the time, if you want to come down here, and the rest of you can be dismissed, but if you've got the time, if you can come down here, if you just want to come down here and have this prayer meeting with me and say, God, I don't want my pastor or anybody in this church to have to force me to live for you. I don't want anybody to have to always call and check on me. I don't want anybody to always have to be like, what are you doing online? God, I want to find a place where it's just me and you and I'm right. It's just just me and you and I'm holy it's just me and you and I wonder where you are but I'm not going to stop the commitments uh, when the cat's away I promise I won't play I promise you Jesus God's model is to leave you to your own devices uh, and let you pick for yourself God bless you if you want to eat that fruit and be destroyed. It's your choice. But God does not want to fight you all the time. God doesn't want to send a death angel every service. God doesn't want to have a teenager overdose every week to wake us up. He just wants us to choose them. Without a pastor with tears in his eyes all the time. Without an hour and a half message on Wednesday night. He just wants it to be simple. Because he paid it all at the cross. Why am I paying again tonight? Thank you, Lord. Come on, let's lift up our voices in unity tonight. We don't have to stay long if we'll just pray the right prayers. We don't have to linger if we'll pray the right thing. And that is, I don't ever want to have to have that in my life, keeping me so scared that I'll serve you. I don't think you'll be lost if you have to have that. You'll be saved. I think you might be lost. I think I might be lost.
I know God spoke to me for us tonight, church family. I know that God has spoke to me. I know that I have to keep talking to you and meeting with you and loving on you. But I want you to know it's not the will of God. The conversation should be light. It should be simple. It should flow with love. But it's a two-way street. And God, if we could all just submit, we would not have to smother. If you would judge in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our own own secret things. We wouldn't have to be judged. It's not the prettiest way to serve God. It's not the best method. For God chose the foolishness of preaching to save them to believe, not the foolishness of rebuking. He just wants me to preach about Him and us fall in love with Him. He just wants me to, to love you and to lead you in the ways of Jesus. And everybody fall in line and say, yes, pastor, we're with you. We're with Jesus. That's the most beautiful way for us to build a church. Oh, God, help us, God. You might get away with it for all of your life and pay for it in eternity. It's not worth it. He might not be looking at you, but he sees. He knows. Oh, God, he knows. Oh, God. He's in every conversation. He's in every thought process. God, I don't want to always have to have a guard, a fence around me always with barbed wire and machine gun turrets to keep me doing what's right. I don't want a gun to my head to worship you, God. I don't want to have to hold a a threat of a leadership position over somebody. But let it be because we love you, God. You can't put me in that place. That is not, I'm not your God. I'm not your chief shepherd. You can't do that to, you, to your pastor and pastor's wife. All that does is it pulls the smother out of us, and that's not the will of God. Oh, we are going to do it right at Austin First Church. We're going to have a loving church. This is the key to a loving church, church family. This is the key to a good relationship between every leader, every spiritual authority, and every saint. God wants us to love each other no matter our position, no matter how God uses us. He wants us to love each other. Love God. Not from constraint, but freely He wants us to willingly love Oh, God, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for helping us see clearly tonight that we need you, Jesus. Oh, God, you're good. Oh, God, you're speaking. Thank you, God. Come on, just another minute right now as the Lord is is sealing this message in our lives and our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. You're so faithful. You're so good, God. Oh, God, you're so faithful. You're so good, God. Thank you for your word. I, I pray it was clear. I pray that it made sense tonight, God, what you've laid on my heart these last few days. In the name of Jesus, thank you, God. God, let us have a mutual relationship in this church where we all know our place so that we can work together beautifully, harmonically, work together in sync, God. Let it be your will that's done. I just want to be an example to your people, God. I just, I just want to show your love, God, and people to see that love, to follow after you, Jesus. Do your will, God. Thank you for the church. <laughs> Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. 
I believe it's going to be the case at Austin First Church. I truly do. I believe God's going to do this for our church. I truly do. Thank you so much for your response and for your love. There's something that I'm, I'm doing more and more lately before I, I talk with people is I'm trying to make sure that people know that I truly, that my wife and I truly love them before we talk to them. And I would like to give that, that advice to all of you. We're not ever going to stop helping each other at this church. We will not operate in fear. I am not going to be a pastor that goes around splitting up meetings in private homes because you want to hang out because I'm afraid that you're going to gossip. I'm going to teach on it. I'm going to pray on it. But I'm not going to go around living in fear, and neither are you. We're going to learn how to handle each other God's way. And this is one way you can do it. Make sure people know that you love them. And if they don't believe that, you're wasting your time trying to correct them. Maybe start more meetings with prayer and say, can we just stop and pray? Let's get the right spirit. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. And that's why I want love to be the, the pinnacle of everything that we do and every discussion we have. Let's pause the drama long enough to say, can we pray for a moment? I want to make sure that we have the right spirit. And I'm telling you, this church, you're going to be gelled together, glued together. You're going to have great relationships. You're going to fall in love with each other. You're going to have trust. It's going to be done God's way. And the Bible says, don't forget, submit yourselves one to another. You might be right, but you still have to submit. You might have the best advice with your brother or your sister, but guess what? You still have to show them that you're submitted to them. Because guess what? You can't make them change. And whenever you submit to your brother, you're letting him know, I can't make you do anything, but I'm still going to tell you. I'm not going to make you. I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to scare you. I submit to you too. In fact, you know what else that means? I have problems also. So if you ever need to tell me anything, tell me. I'm not the perfect one in here. It's a two-way street. I may have messed up. Submit to each other. Love each other. And you'll be able to handle any issue, talk through any problem. We need each other. Amen? We need each other. I know I'm not enough. I know it. We're just in a season of me helping build leaders and build saints. It's going to turn into a, a new day where you're going to be able to all help me and we're all going to help people. Broken people are going to come through those doors and I'm going to know that you have the word from God. I'm going to know it. I'm going to be able to look at you and trust you and know that you love, you love me, you love them, and you're answering to God. You're submitted. That's the future of our church. Many churches can't get there because they're always fighting. There's always issues and power struggles, but we're going to, we're going to break that. We're going to break that. We're going to learn to be confrontational and have love. You have to, y'all. We can't avoid each other. Y'all understand? We can't avoid each other. We've got to learn to love each other. And then we can say anything we need to say. I love, anybody love what we're trying to build? At least what we're trying to build at Austin First Church? We're trying to build it here. We can do this in Jesus' name. God bless you. You are dismissed. Thank you so much for hanging with me a little bit later. It's spring break for some of y'all, so maybe it won't matter as much. But God bless you. We'll see you this weekend. Pray for our quizzers going out of town this weekend. God bless you all.